You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Do you have some nice people sitting at your table? <laughs> no. Yes, you do. Everybody's nice in here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. I'm going to, as I, as I read, I'm going to read, I'm going to jump around just a little bit, but I think you can handle it because you're the Mill Sunday School. This isn't like not the Mill Sunday School. <laughs> uh, Hebrews chapter 2, the, the second half of verse 8 after, after the indentation says this, and putting everything under him, this is about Jesus, God left nothing that is not subject to him. God left nothing that is not subject to him, meaning that everything is subject to Jesus Christ. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Everybody say suffered death. That's our God. Our God suffered death so that by grace, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10 says, And bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of our salvation perfect through suffering. You see it again, the word suffering there. But the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. And then at the close of this section, I want you to skip to verse 17. He talks about who Jesus, Jesus declares who he is. And then it goes to verse 17 that says, for this reason, he may, he had, he had been, excuse me, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, like us, in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He was able to help those who were being tempted. And on the cover of your of color, cover of your notes, we call it the skillet. There's the picture of Jesus to being taken down from the cross. And and today I'm going to talk about Buddhism. And Buddhism stems from this problem of suffering. And um, we have an image of a suffering God. And I think that God is worthy to be praised this morning. Don't you agree? Let's pray to Him. Jesus, we welcome you here to the Mill Sunday School. We ask for your blessing to be in this room. We ask for your knowledge to be in this room. We ask for you to open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to see you spiritually, Jesus, that you might be seen um, through Buddhism. God, as we study this world religion, God, would you show yourself to Buddhists? Would you show yourself to this culture in the United States that thinks that Eastern religions and Buddhism is so cool? God, would you be the God of of the Buddhist religion. Would you be the God that we worship, that we praise because you are the God over all the earth. You are the only, the, the only true God on this planet. You are God alone. No other gods stand before you. So we worship you and we praise you right now as the Mill Sunday School. And everyone screamed, Amen. Amen. <laughs> I have a, um, a few announcements to give you, two to be exact. Number one is something called the Ice Bowl. No fans of the ice bowl. I saw some of you playing yesterday. The ice bowl is the Mill Flag Football Tournament. I just want to announce it because yesterday there was games played all day from like 8 a.m. to literally like 8 at night. And today are the final, the semifinals, the finals, and then the final, final championship of the entire world flag football tournament. And we had like 50 teams, so it's a pretty big deal. Um, if you want to go to that, if you're not doing anything this afternoon, Come on down. It's way, if you take Powers all the way south, right before you get to the airport, take a left on the road called Zeppelin, and you'll see Skyview Park. You could come ask me for more directions, but if you don't have anything to do, it's going to be like 70 out. Why not sit around and watch flag football? That's announcement number one. Announcement number two is Africa 08. Yes. Africa, we are going to Africa this summer. There's actually, I put applications over there on that main table as you come in and out. Because applications, the first deadline is due this Friday. And if you are at all interested, 
fill your application out and you'll end up saving money because it's almost like the pre-application price for getting it in this Friday. If you want to go to Africa, mill missions, it's, I can't, just ask somebody who went to China, ask somebody who's, who loves missions and they'll tell you, are you crazy? You have to go. <laughs> All right, shall we talk about Buddhism today? Buddhism, we're studying all this month, by the way, we're studying world religions. We've, we've picked a world religion per, per Sunday. Last week, if you missed it, we talked about Hinduism. Uh, this Sunday, we're talking about Buddhism, how it compares to Christianity. Um, by the way, Christianity wins. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. Uh, next week, by the way, we're talking about um, the African folk traditional religions of Africa, um, the animisms, and, and Evan Martin, who is our missions pastor, who's been to Africa, I think all total, like, I think he's probably lived there four or five months of his life. Um, he is going to be here speaking about African religions. And so you don't want to miss that. Once upon a time, there was a man. Once upon a time, there was a man who fell into a pit, a, de- a big, big, dark hole in the ground. And he fell all the way down, and there's hundreds of feet up, and he couldn't, uh, it's dark down there, it's scary down there, it's lonely down there, and he looks up, and there's no way he can ever get out. At the top, he sees a person. The person walks by and looks down, and this person on the top happens to be uh, someone that's Muslim. And so the Muslim looks down um, to this man that's in a pit and says, I'm sorry you're in this condition, but the way to get out is, is when you die, you'll enter paradise if you're good. And you have to be good down there because Allah is watching you. And then he walks away. And the guy down in the pit is like, man, I'm still down in the pit. Still lonely. Stinks. Um, And then then, uh, a Hindu walks by. A Hindu person walks by, looks down in the pit and says, I have an answer for you. I have an answer to how so you that you can get out of the pit. He said, what you need to do down there is some good acts. Do good acts. They call it karma. Do good karma. Do some yoga down there. Um, do, just do good things, and maybe you'll be reincarnated after death to a higher spot in the pit. Maybe you'll, you'll re- be reincarnated to somewhere higher along. And then if you're in that position, then you might be reincarnated a little bit higher in the pit. And the Hindu walks away and thinks that he's given him a great answer. Uh, the next person that walks by is an African, uh, someone that's following the African religions of the animism, um, walks by the pit, looks down, sees the man in the pit, and says, do you see that rock down there? The man says, yeah, it's right here. There's a rock. The, Afri- the, the African folk religion person says, pick up that rock, put it on a little idol. Worship that rock, the image of the God behind that rock, because if you don't, it's going to rain, and the, the pit is going to close in, and you're going to be muddy, and you're going to die down there. You better pray to that rock and do good things to the God that, that is the image of that rock. And the African, uh, the, the folk religion walks away. And another person walks by who's a Buddhist. And the Buddhist walks by and sees the man in the pit and says, you know what, Buddhist religion has an answer for um, getting out of the pit. The Buddhist says, we, have, uh, we um, have the image of the lotus flower. And a lotus flower is a, a, the pond. Have you ever been to a pond? And there's a beautiful flower sitting on the top just floating there. And it's, like, um, it's just like a beautiful white flower. And the lotus um, lives, the, the roots are at the very bottom of the nasty pond water. The, the flower comes all the way up through the nasty pond water, gets to the top, and then blooms at the top. And it's like a perfect white flower through the top of this nasty pond. And the Buddha says that image is the image of how we get, can get to the top of the pond even though we're down in a pit. And the Buddha says, here's how you get out of the pit. You need to do meditations. You need to become enlightened through sitting down there and meditating and doing good works that Buddhists also believe in karma like the Hindus do. So you need to do good works down there, good things, and you need to meditate. Basically, the Buddhist says, there is no hole. Meditate until you can realize that because you're not in the bottom of a hole. You're actually on the top and you're a beautiful flower. You just need to pretend and meditate because like the Matrix, when they say there is no spoon, Some of you know what I'm talking about. A Buddhist would say, there is no hole. Listen, man, down in there. There is no hole. Just meditate and realize that, that there is no hole. There is no suffering. Um, There is no physical world. 
Meditate till you realize that. Ladies and gentlemen, as, as Christians, we believe in a God that came walking by the hole. And the God, God, looks down into this hole and says, I have a solution. God himself climbed down into the hole with us. You know that Jesus, Jesus is 100% God. And he climbed down into the hole. He came to earth like one of us. And he taught us how, the way to the Father. And then furthermore, more than just that, he suffered and he died for our sins. The reason we're in a hole as humans, the reason why there's sin in the world is because we messed up. We as humans have all made mistakes. That's kind of the symbolism behind being in a, a, a hole that's lonely and scary and dark. And as, as what Jesus did for us, is he became a human, crawled into the hole, and then took upon our suffering, took upon the sin of, of the world and died for us so that we might get out of the hole. It's the only religion that believes that God became a man to give salvation through God's death. And that's pretty cool, don't you think? We have an answer, ladies and gentlemen, to why we're down in a hole. We have an answer that, that gets us out of the hole. Buddhists would just say, pretend it's not there. A Hindu would say, um, do some good things and maybe you'll be reincarnated above the hole. Um, uh, a Muslim would say, just do good. Allah's watching you. Don't be bad or else you'll, you'll be in a further pit. Um, Christianity is the only religion that says that a God came down and died with us in this hole and suffered for us so that we might have eternal life. Pretty sweet, huh? Amen. Um, today we're talking about Buddhism. Um, in, your, in your notes, I want to talk about uh, who Buddha was. Does that sound like fun? I think so. Um, I hope so. I, ho- I hope it'll be some, something that we can learn from. Buddha was a dude who, whose first name was uh, Shakyamuni. Did I pronounce that right? Who, who knows? <laughs> Do you want me to spell it for you? <laughs> History of Buddha, Shakyamuni, S-H-A-K. I'll, I'll spell it up here. Uh, let's see. S-H. Uh, this is his, I guess this, this part is his, is his family name. That's his name. It's a real dude who lived in uh, northern India. Um, he was a very rich prince. He lived around 563. Uh, I'll write that here. 563 to around 483 B.C. So that's a long time ago, huh? That's a real long time ago. Um, or I always like to compare like what was going on in the Bible um, in Israel, at least, around that time. And around that time, we'd have the dudes like Jeremiah and Isaiah, they would be contemporaries with Shagyamuni, who's to become the Buddha. And uh, this is the time period in which he's living. Buddha was living in northern India. India. Today, that part of northern India is Nepal. And so Nepal is the birthplace of Buddha. He was a rich prince. His father, um, if, you, if you have a really rich dad, maybe he gave you like a sweet BMW when you graduated high school. <laughs> I didn't get one. Um, still ticked about that. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, Buddha's dad, Shagyamuni's dad, gave him three palaces, one for each of the three seasons in Nepal. I mean, palaces, not just little houses or cottages. He gave him three palaces. And he hid um, Buddha from all suffering. The Buddha was confined to the palace, to these beautiful palaces, the people that would come in. Uh, he wasn't allowed to go out. He lived in the palace. His father wanted to keep all bad things, all suffering from his son. At the age of 29, he sneaks out of the palace. He dresses up like a beggar, sneaks out of the palace. Uh, I think we have a picture of of the three. uh, Supposedly, he he sees three things. And by the way, this is a lot of this is based upon tradition. And so some of it might just be embellishments of the truth of what really, really happened, um, because People like to do that. <laughs> do we have that picture? Well, uh, the picture of the Buddha looking at the three bad things, the suffering, probably number two. Um, Buddha, has, as he's out in the palace as a 29-year-old, he sees uh, three different things. He th- sees an old man. Oh, you can barely see that. Um, that's Buddha riding on, the, riding on the horses there. He sees three things. He sees an old man, 
He sees a corpse. There's like a skeleton there. He sees um, a diseased man. And basically, he sees suffering. He sees bad things for the first time in his life at the age of 29 years old. I mean, obviously, a very sheltered life in a palace, um, three palaces um, of his own. Oh, there we go. Look at that. Um, So there's Buddha. He sees these three things. um, And and it's... He... He sees suffering for the first time. And he also sees the, the person on the far left is an ascetic. So an ascetic is someone who says no to the physical world and yes to the spiritual world. Someone in Hinduism that, that meditates, that just sits around and avoids suffering by meditation. And so Buddha begins to realize, he thinks that the way to end suffering is through meditation. To pretend that there is no spoon. That there is nothing in the world that the real life is the real life is about becoming a meditated in a meditative state, and so he begins to see suffering, um, supposedly at the age of 29. Around that time, his dad brings him um, a hot girlfriend, <laughs> and it's back in the day when your parents would bring someone for you to marry. His dad brings him um, a beautiful bride, but Buddha says, "No, I don't want to get married because." <clears throat> What does he say? He says, it's a pretty good quote. Objects of affection are like poisonous flowers. That's you girls. <laughs> Which initially appear to be attractive, but eventually give rise to great pain. So he has, he's given a choice. Does he want to marry this, this attractive woman uh, and start a family and get married? Buddha says, no. What I want to do is to end suffering to meditate, to become a person that has a higher enlightenment. And so what he begins to do is he starts starving himself. Supposedly he gets down to eating um, a nut, a leaf, or uh, just a, a kernel of rice per day. Um, begins to starve himself. Um, uh, practices self-mortification. That's when you have like a whip or something and you, and you whip your body. And, and beat your body literally um, to, to bloodiness, saying no to your body, no, no food. After nearly starving to death um, by restricting what he ate, he collapsed in a river while bathing and almost drowned because he was just so, I mean, if, you, if you're only living on a nut per day, you don't have very much energy. Um, then he remembered as, as he's collapsed and almost drowning, he remembers a moment in his childhood in which he was uh, watching his father start the plowing season. And he felt um, he fell into a naturally concentrated and focused state of being. So do you see it? He's semi-delirious because he hasn't eaten anything. He's almost drowned. And, but he sees this image of his father plowing a field and meditates on that. And it's soothing. It's calming. And he realizes that that is how to end suffering. For, to, to, just to pretend suffering doesn't exist and meditate on something else. Meditate. Become so intrigued with the thought that it takes you away and you could and, and you pretend like there is no spoon you're just meditating on this thing do you, do you understand the no spoon thing i should probably explain it because some of you probably haven't seen the matrix he's what is it like there's a spoon there's some buddhist monk has a spoon and it it's a maybe i can't explain it oh the kid that's right the kid like he's holding this this little kid holds a spoon and it goes like like wiggles around and neo the main character is like, how'd you do that? And the kid says, there is no spoon. It's bending your mind. Is that what he says? Something silly like that. Anyways, that's what, that's what Buddha did. Uh, um, one day he sits under a tree, a Bodhi tree. He vowed never, ever to arise from that tree until he found truth. By the way, that's not a good idea to find truth. I think we have a, a little, is there a picture of a golden uh, Buddha under a golden tree? Um, it's a pretty common Im- image in Buddhism, Buddha sitting under that tree. He vows never to come up from that tree until he finds truth. His five companions that were with him believed that he was crazy and abandoned his search for real truth and that he had become undisciplined. So they leave him. Some stories say that after 49 days of living under this tree meditating, uh, one story says after one day and one night of meditating under this tree, he finds enlightenment. And what that means is that he realizes he finds truth. He finds enlightenment. Um, the explana- explanation for that is, um, I guess, semi-Eastern in that 
he just comes to a, a sense of awareness about him that he has found a true reality in meditating under this tree. Um, he is then called the Buddha, which can be translated awakened one. It's also sometimes translated enlightened one. And for the next 45 years of his life, he travels around India, um, what, what, is, what is today India and Nepal, and, and preaches this new way of determining, finding enlightenment to the people who are in India. What religion is the Indian... What religion is in, in India? <laughs> Hinduism. And so Buddha's parents are Hindu. Buddha was Hindu before he became enlightened. And so Hinduism, as I said last week, Hinduism is like the mother of Buddhism. Buddhism is an offspring, almost some would say maybe even a denomination of Hinduism. Lots of similarities between what we talked about last week, Hinduism, and this week as Buddhism. Um, Buddha spends the next 45 years of his life preaching around his message is widely accepted because um, in the Hinduism, in Hinduism, they believe in a caste system that you're born either really poor or really rich, and then there's different stages in between. And if you're born really poor, there's no way you can ever reach um, like another. You have to be reincarnated, be really good, and be reincarnated as somebody higher in the caste system. And so Buddha's message was for everyone: the people in the palace the people that were like the servants of the servants. And he said, you, everyone, can find enlightenment through meditation and through doing good karma. At the end of his life, Buddha, at the age of 80, announces that he would soon die. Um, after this, Buddha has his last meal. Different translations. One translation says he ate a mushroom. <laughs> One translation says he ate a piece of pork. Um, all that to say that he asks... He sits around this table, asks the other monks if they have any questions before he dies. They do not have any questions for him, and he dies. He collapses. He supposedly enters into a state of nirvana, and nirvana is like, it's not like paradise. It's becoming nothing. Buddhism is about coming nothing. As you're meditating, becoming nothing. As you die, the goal is to become nothing. Their, their image is that you would become a drop of water in the ocean. So there's a big ocean, and you are a drop of water, boop, into the ocean. Nothingness. Doesn't that sound sweet? <laughs> Nothingness. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> so Buddha dies, um, and that's the story of Buddha. Pretty fun, huh? Pretty cool dude in history as far as transforming the Eastern religions, transforming Hinduism, and, and developing his own religion. But I think I, as I begin to talk about Buddhists and what they believe, um, I want to show you that it's it's just not a good it's just not a good source, it's just not true. First of all, and the good news of Jesus Christ is so much better than the message of Buddhism. Let's talk about some basic beliefs of of Buddhism real quick. First of all, um, unlike Christianity, um, I guess kind of like Hinduism, there is a ton of different beliefs within Hinduism. Last week we talked about Hinduism. I said. You could talk to one Hindu friend, and they will tell you that um, God is God. Is, there are many. There are many gods. You could talk to another Buddhist friend, and he could say, "Well, who told you that there's many gods? There's only one God and different representations." And then you could talk to your third Hindu friend, and you could ask him, well, "What kind of gods or God do you believe in?" And he might say, "We don't believe in any gods. We just believe in a spiritual world." And you're like, "Well, which one is true? Do you believe in many gods, polytheism, no gods, atheism?" Or one God, monotheism. They can't even decide. And so the same thing kind of goes with Buddhism. They have a lot of, um, there's just lots of different variations between what different Buddhists believe. There's three, there's three schools, I guess, of Buddhism. One is uh, Theravada Buddhism. Theravada Buddhism. Uh, I think we have a picture of a, of a Theravadian. I don't even know that's how you say it. A monk that comes from the Theravada school. This would be the type of school that's in Cambodia, Laos, Burma, Thailand. It's the kind of Buddhism. Um, there he is. He's kind of cool looking. Um, looks all serious. <laughs> um, he's the kind of Buddhist. And th this kind of Buddhism, you, it seems like people worship the images of Buddha himself. And so you'd go to a store or somebody's house, and there'd be a little golden Buddha and uh, there would be offerings to it, like some rice on top of this golden Buddha. There might be some money there. What I thought was funny when I was in Thailand is that there would be like an opened can of Coke there. Like you'd open it up, 
like an offering to Buddha, and you like leave it. I just thought that was so funny. And um, and then the next day you would you'd clean that all off and put some more money there, some more rice. Um, oftentimes there was like candy there and cokes and just little offerings to this little statue of Buddha. That's Theravada Buddhism, um, like Southeast Asia Buddhism. The next type is uh, I'm just gonna ca- call it East Asia. East Asian Buddhism. I think we have another picture of another Buddhist monk from East Asia. Very Japanese looking. This is the kind of Buddhism that's traditionally Japanese or uh, Chinese as the Buddhism went to China and Japan and Korea. This is the type of Buddhism that's there. Type of Zen Buddhism or Confucianist Buddhism um, is, is in these parts. And it's a very different type of Buddhism than you might find in Thailand. And then the third type of Buddhism is the Tibetan type, the Tibetan Buddhism. The Tibetan Buddhism. There's a Tibetan Buddhist monk, and he's chilling there. He's got more of a red color on. Tibetan Buddhists, um, have you ever heard of the Dalai Lama? The Dalai Lama would be a part of Tibetan Buddhism. He's the leader, the spiritual leader of Tibet. And in the 50s or 40s, China came in and took over Tibet, kicked the Dalai Lama out, and so sometimes you'll see, like, stickers on people's cars that say, Free Tibet. They're, they want to free Tibet from the Chinese impre- oppression. Um, that's the Tibetan Buddhism. Um, I'll talk a lot about Tibetan Buddhism um, in a minute because I know the most about it. I spent a whole month in Tibet one time, and then the last summer I spent two weeks in Tibet. And uh, actually, two summers ago I spent two weeks in Tibet. And so I have a lot to say about Tibetan Buddhism, whereas I don't know much about these other two. Um, most Buddhists would believe, if you're, if you're taking notes, um, the basic beliefs of Buddhism, I want to just list a few. And these are just general themes that mosts, most Buddhists would believe. Number one is that they would, have, uh, they would accept the, te- the Buddha as their teacher. Number two is they would, have, uh, they would believe in the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path. We'll talk about those two things in a second. Number three is that uh, they believe that all people can obtain enlightenment. You don't have to be a monk. You don't have to be someone special. You could be anybody, and you could obtain enlightenment. That's number three. Uh, Number four would be um, they believe Buddhahood to be the highest attainment. That's your goal if you're a Buddhist, to become a Buddha um, like Buddha was. And I think they believe in 29 or 28 different Buddhas have lived on the face of the earth and have all obtained boot to be a Buddha. And they've been co- they, they can be called the enlightened one or the anointed one. Um, that's kind of your goal. Um, that's number four. Number five is, it's, uh, I guess it's sort of an atheism. A lot of Westerners would, would ask a Buddhist, well, what kind of God do you believe in? And they may say, I don't believe in any God. I believe that there's a God inside of us and we're all trying to obtain our own happiness that's within inside of us because there's really nothing. There is no spoon. There's nothingness. And so we need to meditate to become nothingness. And so some Buddhists might say that there, there's no God. Some Buddhists might say that there's um, like Vishnu and Krishna, the, the Hindu gods, or some might even like uh, deitize Buddha himself and kind of pay their due homage and worship to these little images and idols, but it's really more of an act of karma than a true act of worship of like a one true God. So you have to kind of think that um, it's really more of an atheism, a really more of a philosophy than a worship of God. You got it? That's the basic form of Buddhism. I want to talk about the four noble truths, and this might depress you a little bit. Are you okay to be depressed a little bit? Because in the end, I'm going to say the, the, the true answer to all suffering is, is through Jesus. And so um, remember Buddha back, back in the day sneaking out of his palace. He had never seen anyone die. He had never seen a corpse. He had never seen disease before. He sneaks out and sees some of these things. And the four noble truths of Buddhism um, are what I'm about to say. If we had four noble truths of Christianity, they might be like um, we believe in God. We believe in the Bible. We believe that Jesus is Lord. We believe that salvation is through faith in Jesus. Those are some like noble truths of Christianity, right? Right. Buddhism says this. Noble truth number one. You can write these down if you wish. I'll say them slowly. 
Noble truth number one, there is suffering. That's a good one, huh? Number one, there is suffering. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Number two, number two, cravings or desires are the cause of these sufferings. Number two, cravings or desires are the cause of these sufferings. If you want something really bad and you don't have it, then you're suffering. And so cravings, desires are the cause of these sufferings. Um, Number three, there is an end to suffering. I mean, these are all about suffering, right? These are the noble truths of Buddhism. Number one, there is suffering. Number two, cravings are the cause. Number three, there is an end to suffering. And number four, there is a way leading through the end of suffering via the eightfold path. That's kind of long. Yeah, there, there is a way. Number four is there is a way to end suffering through the eightfold path. It's all about suffering. Do you see how this religion is? The basis of, of, of Buddhism is that there's suffering and then that there's an answer to suffering. But I'm going to argue that this answer to suffering is, isn't really an answer at all compared to the good news of Jesus Christ. Number four, I'll, I'll repeat it one last time, is that there is a way through uh, there is a way to end suffering through the Eightfold Path. And what the Eightfold Path is, um, it's, there's eight different things. I won't, I'll say them quickly, so you probably can't write them down. You'd have to look them up later. But basically, the Eightfold Path has two parts. One part, karma. One part, meditation. The karma part, if you remember from Hinduism, karma means deeds, what you do. And the deeds will come back to you in the end. Um, basically, One, two, and three are right speech, right actions, and right livelihood. Live your life right, do good deeds, do good karma to obtain the end to suffering. This is the Eightfold Path. The rest of them, the rest of the five are all about meditation. Right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, right understanding, and right thoughts. That you can obtain an end to suffering through doing good things, and meditating, pretending like there is no spoon. There is nothing. Karma is about, um, we kind of confuse karma. I I would be wrong if I said karma is doing good things. Excuse me. Karma is doing good things and avoiding bad things because Buddhists don't believe in an absolute right and wrong system. They believe that just what comes around goes around. It's this idea that if you cause someone to suffer, if you hurt someone, then you're going to be hurt back. It's, it's, and it's not like a one-for-one kind of thing. If you do wrong things or if you cause suffering, then suffering is going to come back to you. If you do good things, do good merit, maybe it's worshiping a little god, maybe it's doing good deeds or giving alms to the poor, giving money to the poor, then good things will come back to you. And it's not like a god is in charge of all this. It's just... They would, they would say it's just the natural flow of just how things end up working. And so would it be right to kill someone? No, because that would cause them to suffer. And so, I mean, it seems like a, a, a philosophy that's pretty common today, don't you think? If, if you ask someone um, that's not a Christian, what, what is right and wrong to do? They might say, well, it would be wrong to hurt someone because it would, it would cause suffering upon them and their family. It would be, it'd be right to give to the poor because that's, it would cause less suffering for that poor person. But then they run into problems as to what if it doesn't cause anybody suffering? Is it okay to have premarital sex in Buddhism? Is it okay to do drugs in Buddhism? Is it okay to drink alcohol to excess, to drunkenness in Buddhism? And they would say, no, those things aren't good either because that's desire. And desire is something. To crave is the cause for suffering. And so in Buddhism, they would say, if you're craving and desiring something, that's no good. The, the end cause of Buddhism is to sit down in some, like maybe even a yoga position, to sit down, concentrate on nothingness, to become nothingness. No desires become enlightened through nothingness. It's kind of a, as, as, we, as we begin to really compare it to Christianity, it's kind of a dark, I mean, it's just about becoming nothing. I mean, where's the hope in that? Where's the real end to suffering and just becoming nothingness i was talking to when i was in tibet i was in uh downtown tibet in lhasa there's all these monks and uh 
all these religious temples of Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism. And, and a monk came up to me and my friends. Uh, my, me and we are, I was traveling with two Christian buddies. And he came up to us and said, can I practice my English on you? <laughs> so we said, yes, you can. He said, where are you from? I said, oh, I'm from America. And he said, oh, I'm from Tibet. And we went back and forth in like <laughs> really broken English. And he said, why don't you come to my uh, monastery? I'll invite you in for some tea. Um, and so we went to this monastery. We had some nasty Tibetan butter tea. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like the nastiest. It's not tea, nor is it butter. It's <laughs> someone said it tastes like someone like washed the streets and then wrung the, the, the mop into a cup. <laughs> it, that's what it tastes like. It's neither tea nor butter. It's just nastiness. And so we're sitting down. Um, drinking this butter tea that monks have every day. Uh, I mean, just, just all throughout the day. It's like their staple. It'd be like us drinking coffee and Coke and water all together. Just That's all they drink. It's just Tibetan butter tea. It's nasty. Um, so we're drinking this. And, of course, I had to go to the bathroom after drinking this tea. Because <laughs> it's just nasty stuff, you know. And it just ran right through me. Um, so I went downstairs to go to the bathroom. I, went, I, did, I did my business. And I was, I was coming back upstairs, and there was this room. Now, what I'm about to tell you may surprise you, because it surprised the heck out of me. I was walking by this room, and I saw a bunch of video cassette tapes. I saw a bunch of magazines in a Tibetan Buddhist monastery. Monks live there. They worship there. They are, are required to have no desires whatsoever. The, the people revere them because they meditate, and they become nothingness. They have no desires. They eat very little. They own very little. I think they just own like uh, an extra pair of clothes to their persons if they, if they live in a monastery. They're supposed to have no desires. And yet I walked past this room of VHS tapes, magazines, and it was all pornographic. It was, it was, it was really it was disturbing. I just thought, this is a monastery where these Buddhist monks are worshiping upstairs in the, in the, in the top part, and yet they, they must just come down here and view the, the videos and the magazines, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a dark side, and this basement is, is just, um, it was surprising to me. And so I was talking to my two friends later, and I said, you'll never believe what I saw downstairs in this Buddhist monastery. And, and both of them said, I, I bet we do know, because it's, it's, it's common amongst, the, they, they had both, one of them lived in Nepal for a while, they said that it's pretty common for Buddhist monks to have pornographic stuff and just just as a way of their, I don't know. I mean, I think somehow they justify it. I don't know how they justify it, but they, they all live celibate lives. They're not married. And um, they just, I mean, it's, our conversation kind of ended with, well, how do you think people live that are worshiping false gods? How do you think people live that don't have the love and the light of Jesus Christ in their life? They have to turn to something. And they must know that in their religion, all they're seeking is nothingness. And so that is just, what, it, what I saw in the basement there was just a part of that nothingness and part of being unfulfilled and the suffering and part of their religion and the, the secret part of, yes, humans do have desires. Um, another part of Tibetan Buddhism is, is the works side of Tibetan Buddhism. I think I have a few pictures. There's a picture of uh, a prayer wheel that I want to show you. And if you, oh, the prostrations, that's what I was going to talk about first. Um, Tibetan, you can go back to the prostrations. Um, to the, the first picture, is a, these, these Tibetan Buddhists, they're just average people. They're, they're going all the way down on hands and knees, and then, and then they'll go all the way up, and they'll lay flat like that guy in the front is doing, and then they'll stand all the way back up and, and raise their hands to these Tibetan, uh, they're almost like Vishnu or Krishna. They're just these nasty god, golden figurines of god and so there'll be people lined up outside of a temple or something bowing down in prostrations worshiping the gods in this temple as an act of good karma and so they'll do this all day long and they'll do this if they if they're if they don't live in lhasa lhasa is like their holy city they'll make a pilgrimage to lhasa and the harder that they can make this journey upon themselves. They, they're literally people that have crawled to Lhasa. They're literally people that have taken um, one step and then gone all the way flat and then all the way up and then one step and then all the way flat for hundreds of miles 
getting to Lhasa. I mean, it, takes, it must take years in order just to walk to Lhasa because they're trying to do good things for their soul. They're trying to, to, to do good karma, to please the gods, to, to please um, this karma system that they could be reincarnated as something better so that they could achieve enlightenment through karma. Um, the next picture is of a little prayer wheel. And the prayer wheel um, has uh, usually written on it is either Tibetan scriptures or prayers. Um, sometimes it's Omani Padmeum, which is a mantra of the Tibetan religion. It means blessed. I think it means blessed the jewel of the lotus. Is that correct? Do you know, it is. It means blessed the jewel of the lotus. That the lotus is their symbol, their flower, which is usually has eight points on it. The eightfold path. It, it's all symbolic of that. And so they'll whip this thing around just in their hand, just kind of sitting here, um, whipping this thing around. And supposedly the prayers are being said as this thing is turning around and around. Um, and then they also, if you flip to the next picture, they have like bigger prayer wheels in which someone would walk by and just like spin all of these prayer wheels. And so it's pretty common to see someone walking along, spinning these prayer wheels with one hand, um, always in a clockwise fashion, rotating a prayer wheel and saying to themselves, Oh, money, pardon me, oh, money, pardon me, oh, money, pardon me, oh, money, pardon me, and just walking around all day long as an act that somehow those acts of good karma might save them from the mistakes, the bad things that they've done. Um, I, we, when we were there last, last year, um, well, I guess I should explain what a prayer flag is. The next picture, I think, is, is prayer flags. And prayer flags have the kind of a similar kind of thing as, as the wheel spinning on the, on the flag itself is uh, prayers. And so when the wind blows, the, the prayers are being said, supposedly. Um, and so if you went and hung up some prayer flags, then you would be like saying prayers via these prayer flags. It seems like kind of a, like a very multitasking kind of religion. <laughs> you could set these prayer flags up. In one hand, you could have the prayer wheel. one hand, you could be uh, moving the other prayer wheels. One, you could be speaking. You could be do, doing prostrations all try, and with money in your pocket, giving money to the poor, um, all trying to add up good karma in your life. And th- the Tibetan Buddhist people, um, besides you all at New Life Church and, and the, my experiences with Christians who really love Jesus Christ, the Tibetan Buddhists are by far... Um, just the most spiritual people I've ever seen because they are just constantly in this motion of trying to do good things, good karma, through little prayers and, and mantras. Um, when I was there two, two summers ago, uh, we, we saw an, invi- an uh, invention that the missionary looked up and said, oh my gosh, here we go. And what we saw was someone had decided, I'm going to have a helium balloon, like a big rubber helium balloon, write prayers on it. And then on the string that's attached to this big helium balloon, prayer flags. And so in one hand, the prayer wheel. In another hand, this big balloon. In the pocket, money. Giving out money to people um, that were poor. All for the, for the act of karma. All to do good things so that someday they might become nothing. So that someday, even though they're suffering and maybe they're sick, or just whatever happens in people's daily lives, bad things do happen that somehow that will all be ended by becoming nothingness. That's not good news, is it? Jesus, there's, there's good news in Jesus Christ. I want to read from you um, uh, something that this book has to say. This book is Introduction to Buddhism. It's by Geshe Kilsong Gensatso. Um, was born in Tibet, fully accomplished meditation master. <laughs> I don't know what that means. And internationally renowned renowned as a teacher of Buddhism. And he says something that I was reading this the other day, kind of researching Buddhism. And what I'm about to read to you may depress you a little bit about how sad Buddhism really is. So this is in your notes. This is, this is under the section of suicide. This is what this, this Buddhist has to say about someone that commits suicide. And obviously someone that commits suicide is suffering, depression, um, just going through in, in a season or in, in their life, just, just suffering the weight of the world upon them that they would want to kill themselves. And, and this Buddhist monk says this about people that commit suicide. He says, There are some people who contemplate committing suicide in the hope that they will die and their problems and sufferings will come to an end. However, these ideas are completely wrong. Instead of ceasing, 
the mind simply leaves the body, the present body, and goes to the next life. For ordinary beings, therefore, rather than being released from suffering, death only brings about new sufferings. That's a very depressing message that Buddhism has to to share with people that are depressed. It's a very sad, hopeless message that a Buddhist person has to share with someone that, that wants to end their life. Can you imagine someone wanting to end their life and, and a, a Buddhist saying, well, don't end your life because in the next life you're just going to get more sufferings too. But where's the hope in that? As Christians, we have hope through Jesus Christ. We have someone who has suffered with us. Uh, this, this last week, I've, I've got to carry this pager around. And this pager is the pastor on call pager of New Life Church. And um, basically, if someone calls the church after hours, uh, there's a message that says you could leave a message. Um, you could, you could um, be dir- directed to whatever department you want to be directed to. Or if you're, if you're in a spiritual emergency, whatever that might look like, you can call this pager number and a pastor will call you back. And the pastors all at New Life Church switch around this pager. <coughs> and so yesterday... Uh, the pager was just blowing up. Um, I think I had five calls of people calling me up, and they were every single one of them. Uh, actually, one lady didn't. So it was near tears. But all of the other ones, um, a, a guy just dealing, going through life and saying, I, I, I'm struggling with, with drugs. Another person um, struggling with this, what should I, uh, the financially, this, this situation that came to her, and she's struggling with that. Um, just these people that are, are suffering. And maybe some of you in here are doing great, and you're, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to go to the ice bowl. I'm just excited about life, and I'm not suffering right now. Although I've been through periods of my life when I was suffering. I've, I've talked to people yesterday that, that call up the church. I mean, imagine the, 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 some of them didn't even know, uh, didn't even go to New Life Church. They just saw New Life Church in the, in the phone book, and I need to call somebody. They called this number. Maybe they called a few other places first and realized that New Life had an emergency pastor phone phone number and they paged it and i called him back and i got to pray with him over the phone i mean if this was a buddhist on call pager i would call people back and say well uh just pretend there's nothing pretend there is no suffering pretend uh, nothingness just sit down and and think about the word lotus and and concentrate on that and your all your sufferings will go away because there is no sufferings that's not true the person would say but i am suffering i'm sad this stinks. My life stinks right now. I need help. But as a Christian, uh, we have the message of Jesus Christ. We could say, you know what? Jesus came to this earth. He knows what it's like to suffer. We can say to people, um, like C.S. Lewis said, he had this, this um, analogy that said that God uses pain like a megaphone. This, he has this book called, I think it's called The Problem of Pain. Is that it? How many of you have seen that book? It's an amazing book. Um, he says that, that God uses pain as a megaphone to the earth to get our attention. That God uses suffering to, to let us grow. There's a verse in 1 Peter that says um, that re- to rejoice in our sufferings because we know that God creates in us more hope and more faith through our sufferings. And so as Christians, we could say, your sufferings are real. But you know what? God hasn't left you alone. God is using this suffering to make you better and more than that, Jesus Christ suffered as, as a person just like you are suffering now. And this is a great message, my friends. If, if you're going through something right now, uh, if you're going through loneliness, whatever it is you might be going through, um, whatever it is, maybe a friend comes to you and says, you know, I'm going through something right now. We have a message to tell them. We could tell them suffering, the suffering you're experiencing is real, but Jesus Christ is suffering right now with you. You know, in the Gospels, it says that Jesus cried. It says that he bled. It says that that he was hurt by the cross. It says that he was in pain. That's the kind of God we serve. That a a God that cares about us enough to suffer for us. A God that cares about us enough to say, you know what? You're in in sin. Maybe you're suffering because you you messed up and the suffering's upon you because uh, of just some bad things that you did. But Jesus Christ has come to set you free of that sin. I have a story to read for you. Uh, It's a short one, then we'll close. It says, A famous evangelist once told 
um, the following story about his friend. He says, I have a friend who in a time of a business recession lost his job. He lost a sizable fortune, his beautiful home, and to add to that sorrow, his precious wife died. Yet he tenaciously held on to his Christian faith, the only thing that he had left. One day he was walking in search of employment. He stopped to watch a group of men who were doing stonework on a large church. One of them was chiseling a triangle piece of rock. Where are you going to put that, he asked. The workman said, do you see that little opening near the spire? Well, I'm shaping this stone down here so that it will fit up there. Tears filled my friend's eyes as he walked away, for the Lord had spoken to him through this, through the laborer who gave him new meaning to his own troubled situation. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we welcome you into our lives. God, we realize that this world is real, that what we're going through, whether it be good or bad, is the world that you have created. It is your world. It is real. Life matters. And we just tell you that, God, and reminding ourselves that this world is real, that you are real, God, that you have come to this earth as a person to, to put an end to suffering, to suffer with us as we are suffering, that we might have eternal life with you, Jesus, that there's no tears in heaven. There's a paradise waiting for those who have put their trust in you. And so, Jesus, we praise you. God, we pray right now for people entrenched in the Buddhist religion that would say there's suffering and there's no end to suffering and the only end is to become nothingness. God, we pray for them and we pray for our friends that are entrenched in the New Age movement that is influenced by Buddhism. God, we encourage us, Jesus, to talk to our friends that are, that are following this new light, that the, the New Age tradition that says that there's suffering, that there's no end, that the idea is to become nothing. God, that is so wrong. You have created us as someone. You have created us as daughters and sons of you, Jesus. And we praise you for that. We praise you for the good news of Jesus Christ, that he's taken suffering away. We praise you for that good news, Jesus. We love you and we praise you. We thank you. We leave here rejoicing that our names are written in heaven and that you are our king and our God. We love you, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.